I want you to open up in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And as you know, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the names of Jesus Christ. And we are still looking at the names of Jesus. In the first chapter of the Gospel according to John, there's seven names for Jesus. Seven names. Last week, we discussed three of those names. And the amazing fact about all of this is that each one of those names of Jesus is applicable to the world. But not only to the world, it's applicable to you and to me. If you think about when he says in John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning the Word, and we discussed that, and I'm not going to go over discussing it again, but if you think about that and want to apply it to your life, we can. Because the Word, it says in the book of Psalm, is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. A light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. A light just lights around me. I can see where my feet stand, but a lamp is something you take with you on a journey. And it, it opens up the path for you. You can see way ahead of you. And that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God shows you where you are right now. So if you study it, if you listen to it, if you allow the Word to come into your life, because I showed you that the Word is Jesus Christ, if you allow Him to come, He will show you where you are right now. He will give you light around your feet. But He will also be the lamp unto your path. He will give you direction. It is, you know, it's wonderful if you walk, if you don't know your way or your direction, if you walk somewhere and you've got somebody behind you, and with his voice he says, walk straight, and you walk straight. And he says, turn left, and you turn left. And as you turn left, you see there's a very poisonous snake right where you walk. Would you be grateful for the voice? Come on, be with me. Yes, you will. And as you walk in your new direction, this voice says, hurry up, speed up. Or it says, slow down. Or it says, turn slightly right. It would be good to have a direction of that in life, wouldn't it? But this is the great news. We've got him. His name is Jesus Christ. And thy word, thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Listen to me this morning. If you follow this book, the words of Christ is in this book, you will have a light and you will have a lamp. Not only that, you will have a voice that directs you. You come in a situation where you are now in front of a decision to take something that doesn't belong to you or to leave it. The voice of God will say what? Leave it. You see, that's that voice behind you or in you. He's with you forever. So that's how you apply the Word. You see, nothing we preach about the Word of God is for vain. Then we said, not only that, we said in the book, John chapter 1 verse 4, He's the true light. Isn't that right? You see, this is how you apply it to your own life. When you study the Word, it says in the book of James that we look into a mirror. A mirror. This is a mirror. And when you read this mirror, this book, the true light shines from that into you, into your darkened soul. And for the first time you realize you realize and you see yourself through the eyes of God. And that is when this book, 
or the words in this book, which is the word, his words, shines into your heart and he deals with your sinful nature. Your sinful, dark inner. That little room that you've got there that nobody knows about. You don't allow anybody into that room. The secret, secret closet of your heart. That's where he lies. His light penetrates right into that. And once it penetrates, it enlights everything. Satan loves secrets. But once it's been brought into the light, he's got no power over you. And then we came to, he is also the Son of God. John chapter 1 verse 49, when Nathaniel says, You are the Son of God. And it is interesting that I showed you that the demons even cries it out. Yet the world don't want to know it, but the demons cries it out. And he's the Son of God in you and my life. Nobody can come to God if they do not believe in Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now today, we want to come to part number two. And I thought it was only going to be two parts, but there's more. (laughs) And that's the Word of God. And I believe you will trust me that I want to follow the Spirit, how He leads. Yes? You don't want to follow me. Come on. You want to follow God. You want to follow His Spirit. And that's who I'm following this morning. We're going to look at the fourth name this morning of Him, declared in the first chapter according to uh, the Gospel according to John. And that name is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. You remember when John the Baptist turned to Him and He says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, to do that, we need to go back into the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And everything in the Old Testament is a shadow pointing towards Christ in the New Testament. And you will understand the Bible if you see it like that. So, let's go to Genesis chapter 22 as you follow in your Bible. It says in Genesis chapter 22 verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And just look at me for a minute. As we're going to read through this, I want to show you the types. The types of Christ. This is a prophecy. This is a Midrash prophecy showing towards Jesus Christ in the future. And I'll highlight it out for you. So we're going to read and stop and read and stop and I'll give you running commentary. He says there, and it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Now let me show you this. He says, take your only son, Isaac. Did Abraham have only one son? No, he had two sons. The first son's name was Ishmael. And Abraham loved Ishmael before Isaac came onto the scene. But you see, Ishmael was born out of the flesh, whilst Isaac was born out of the spirit. You say, how did that work? Because he's the covenant son. He's the son that God promised him. He says, I promise you that your wife will have a child. But he did it on his own. That's the Ishmael. You see, but God only sees one son for Abraham, and that is Isaac, the covenant son. Now, I like it when he says, your only son. Because we read in the Gospels that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten son, yes? 
You see, this is the type of Christ. It played out. But there was a veil over this, so that the Old Testament people couldn't see this. But you and I are so privileged. How privileged are we that we can see this now? Because it's been revealed to us. He says, take him to go to the land Moriah. You know what that land's name was in the New Testament? Calvary. The place of skull. Where did Jesus Christ die? At Calvary. This is the exact place where Jesus Christ himself will die on a cross years after this. You say, wow, that is amazing. God told Abraham to take his only son, whom he loved. He uses the word love. He says, whom you love, take him and offer him up to me. I wonder if I come to you this morning and God speaks through me to you and He says, take that one thing that you love so dearly and don't give it away, but kill it and offer it. You see, if you give it away, you can go back and ask it back again, can't you? But if you've offered it, it's dead to you. I want you to understand that at this point in time, when Abraham is going to respond to God, from that moment, Isaac was dead to him. Although the boy was still walking, the lad was just walking there, he could touch him, but in his heart and to him, he was dead. His mind was made up. That is how clear he was with God. That is how close his relationship was with God. Again, I come to you this morning. What is that one thing that you, you say, without it, I will die? Without it, I am so attached to it. And the Spirit of God comes this morning and He says, I want you to kill it, to offer it up. So, he says, it's right there, he says, I want to take this son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to this place and offer him there as a burnt offering, as one, as on one mountain of which I shall tell you. You know what a burnt offering is? A burnt offering is take the animal in. This wasn't a beautiful picture. You would slit the animal's throat and the blood will come out. You say, wow, that is terrible. But then, you will cut the animal open and you'll take all of the intestines out and you will put it on the altar and you will pack it on the altar in pieces and then you will light it and it will burn into ashes. This is what he asked of him. This is the offer. This is the sacrifice that he expected. Can you imagine when Jesus was hanging on the cross don't believe every picture you see that they put in all these magazines of him hanging there and only something out of his life. Don't believe that. His bones were poking out. He was an offering on that cross for you and for me. And this is a picture of that when God told Abraham to take his son up onto that mountain. Verse 3 says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. You see, he already made up his mind. He wasn't pondering about this. He rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then, 
On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. You know, I love this. The Bible is so accurate. He says, after the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. You remember when I told you that the moment that God said, I want you to offer him, Isaac, according to him, was dead? Three days later. How long did Jesus die for? Three days. It's a picture. That's why I love this Bible and the author of the Bible. You know what? This brings me closer to God. I understand it now. It's picture clear to me. It changes my life. It gives me joy. When you understand that God is so meticulous, He will be so meticulous and He is so meticulous in your life today, if you allow Him. Three days it took them to get. I wonder why three. Why not four? Why not two? Why didn't they hurry on the donkeys and come? Come on, come on, come on. Three days. He was dead when God told him, look, you've got to offer your child. And he said, it's going to be done. But now we will see. After three days, the boy left. How wonderful is that? Now let's look at the next verse. So Abraham took the wood. And what did he do with it? Of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac. He laid it on Isaac. What did Jesus do? He had to carry the cross. There was wood upon his shoulders, the same as there were wood upon the shoulders of Isaac. Can you see the picture? Abraham didn't help him carry that wood. He had to carry the wood. He put it upon the lad. And he laid it on him and his son and he took fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac, listen to this now. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. I get this. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's the theme of your message this morning. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb, my father? I get what we're going to do. We're going to offer something. But normally, I remember this, Father, because I've done it so many times with you. If we go and offer something, there's always an animal. Because it was instituted by God so that the animal be killed and the blood will cover our sins. It will cover the guilt of sin. It will stop from the fury of God to come upon us. He knew that. Now they walk and there's no animal. Where is the lamb? Where is it? You know, that is the same question that has been shouted through the chasms of time in the Old Testament. Where is the lamb? Because man is ridden, ridden by guilt since the Garden of Eden. You look at me skeptical, let me tell you this, you are ridden with guilt since you've done that thing you shouldn't have done. You and I, when we were born, the Bible says we turned away and you know what our soul cries out? It cries out, where is the Lamb? What can take this guilt away? 
What can make me whole again? What can give me that communication with God again? What will make us one again? And you know people are searching for it in the wrong places. To fill it. Where is the Lamb? Abraham, tell us today, where is the Lamb for the burnt offering? Through the ages, Abraham answers him. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now, I want to correct something here because this comes out of the New King James Bible. If you've got the King James, I want to show you something here. And if you've got a pen, I want to allow you to scratch out a word. He said, are you tampering with the Word of God? No, I'm not. I went, I've got an interlinear Hebrew Bible. So I went back to the interlinear, the Bible itself, which is directly translated out of Hebrew. And the translators has put in a word here, which doesn't belong there. And it's this word here, for. That word there. I want to allow you to scratch it out of your Bible if it's there. Because, friends, it reads directly out of the Hebrew. For my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. You say, what is it with words? Is it such a big issue? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because if you leave it in there, it says, well, God will provide for himself a lamb. It means he will go around and look for a lamb which he will take for himself, like all the people on the earth is doing. No, no, no. God says in this passage, he himself will become the lamb. That is a major difference. That is a critical difference. So, I allow you to scratch that word out of your Bible if it's there. He says, God will provide for himself. You say, where do you find this that they call out for this lamb? Where is the lamb? Where is it? You know, it went through all the, right through all the prophets from there on. They are searching for the lamb. Not the lamb that will cover their sins anymore, but they are searching now for the lamb who will take it away. Right through the prophets, the Old Testament. Go through all of them. Right into the New Testament. And we find John the Baptist, when he was standing there in the Jordan, at a place called Betabara. You say, what is so significant about that place, Betabara? I'll tell you what is significant about it. It is when the, the, the people came, when the Israelites came. You remember when they were in the wilderness, walking around? They came to this place at the Jordan. And God says, let them sanctify themselves. Let them purify themselves. And they got the priest, and whilst they put their feet into the water, what happened? The water opened up to them in, in the Jordan. And that is the exact place where the people went through from the wilderness into the promised land. It's that place, Betabara, where John the Baptist is baptizing. They've put stones, memorial stones up there in the Old Testament. In Joshua's day, they put up the stones there. They called it Betabara. John picks that place to go and baptize. Why? 
because one day we will baptize Jesus Christ who takes us out of the Egypt or the wilderness of our sin into the promised land of what? A life without sin and eternal life. God is good, friends. The Bible is alive. It's not dead. Everything that you read in the Word of God is with purpose. God is a God of purpose. Look, if your life is lost and you cry out, where's the Lamb? You haven't got direction in your life. He's a God of purpose. He will give you purpose. He will give you direction. If you search for the Lamb, you will find Him. John chapter 1 verse 19. These uh, priests and Levites and the Jews, they sent people down to John. You see, they were searching for the Lamb. But they were also afraid of this man that's down there because they've built themselves up into this religion that they, makes money for them. Isn't that what's happening today? You get all these preachers, they say, man, you send us a thousand dollars and we'll pray for you. If you send us nine hundred, the prayer is not so powerful, okay? But if you send us a thousand dollars, oh! You send us fifty dollars and we'll pray over this hanky and we'll send it on to you. It's a holy hanky. And they say, look, if you, if, if you put it in now, you put your credit card in now. Once it's come through, you lift up your hand to the TV and God will bless you. Listen, that is all rubbish. It's all nonsense, I'll tell you that. The true one is when you come to Jesus, it costs you nothing. But they're afraid. They're afraid when the real one comes on the scene because their world are shaken. And this is what happens here in John chapter 1, verse 19. He says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Who are you? Are you the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? And they start asking these questions. They say, he confessed first, he says, and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. They were looking for the Christ. The one who was going to take them out under the yoke of the Romans. The king, and we will see more about that in the coming weeks. The king who's going to come on the scene and take them out with a war and they're going to put the Romans in their place. But also, the one who will come in as the high priest and take over the, 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 the things in, in, in the temple. This is what they were looking. They say, who are you? He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And they ask him, and then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. You see, all of these things, we can go back in the Old Testament, and I'll show you how there was promises for Elijah to come back, promises for a prophet to come back. That's why they ask these questions. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who send us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, I want to use Isaiah, one prophecy of Isaiah, to prove to you that we need that land. And we go to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's go there. Isaiah chapter 53, it's a very popular chapter. It's a very popular passage. I'm going to use it different this morning. I wanted to start, read from verse 5, 6 and 7. But I'm going to start at verse 6. 
Then we'll go to verse 5 and then to verse 7. And there's a reason and you'll see why. The question is, Abraham, where is the lamb? But I want to ask another question. Why do we need a lamb? Why? It's a good question. Why do we need a lamb? Isaiah answers it for us. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Who's the we he's talking about? It's us. All we has gone astray like sheep. Have you seen when sheep go astray? They go each in their own direction. Is sheep clever? No. Sheep needs to be guided. Listen, sheep needs that voice behind them. You see where we started today? Sheep needs to hear the voice which says, go left, go right, slow down, hurry up. And we are compared to sheep. How romantic is that? <laughs> and then he says, we like sheep gone astray. We walk our own way. And then look, I've, I've got children and I know, because I was a boy as well. We were nine children. And you know when parents say, do this? No, no, we want to do our own thing. We go astray, the Bible says. It's, it's in all of us. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's laid upon his shoulders the iniquity. That, my fellow believer, is a heavy weight. You say, why do we need a sheep? We need the sheep to take our iniquity on him. You remember a couple of weeks I, I, I preached to you about the cup in the garden? The cup of wrath? If you carry this yourself, the cup of wrath, you will have to drink of that. The wrath of God. We need a sheep to carry the iniquities, our iniquities upon him. If I think about it in human terms, that seems so unfair. Would you agree with me? If I do something horribly, horribly tomorrow, and the police comes to my address, and they want to arrest me, it's a terrible thing. And I say, no, no, no. There is Andre's address. He said, if I do anything wrong, go and take him. Do you think it's fair? You watch it every night on your news, don't you? The people who stab each other. Have you seen how much stabbings has increased over the last two or three years? Every single day you turn the telly on, there's a stabbing going on. There's a shooting going on. What if it was me who stabbed somebody to death and they come and arrest you? What will the world cry out? Come on, what will the world cry out? Unfair! Ludicrous! How can you do that? But yet when I look upon the Lamb who was carrying our iniquities, people continue their own way. They say, oh, what do we care about that? You see why we need a sheep? Why we need him? 
It's right there in Isaiah. He says to carry, to carry our iniquities. Let's go to verse 7 now. He says, He was oppressed. Isaiah 53, 7. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was innocent. He could have cried out, Innocent! It was them. But he did not. You see, the amazing thing about a lamb is, it is a lamb, the word lamb combines in one term, innocence, isn't it? When you look at a little lamb, you go, oh, how innocent. They're beautiful, aren't they, when they're small? Innocent, oh, look at that, beautiful. He was innocent. In the word lamb, you can combine this term voluntary sacrifice. Voluntary sacrifice. He did not open his mouth. He was led. He was afflicted. He was walking before his serious silent. He was so voluntary. You know what Jesus Christ did? He did it voluntarily because he loved you. It is also a substitutionary atonement. In other words, he took your place. They had to march you down. They had to take you down to the serious. They had to afflict you, but he said, no, wait a minute, I will substitute as an atonement. It means effective obedience. He was effective in his obedience and redemptive power. That is what we see in Jesus here in Isaiah. In verse 5 he says, but he was wounded for our transgression." He was wounded, my friend, for our transgressions. Think about that. Transgressions comes from the Hebrew word pesha. Pesha means to be in rebellion. If you think about the rebels going on and they grab you, who's not a rebel, and they start punishing you for what they do. That's what he did. He was wounded. That word wounded means not only a spike with a... No, no, no. It means he was broken up. It's a terrible thing for our transgressions, for our wrongdoings. Every single thing you've done wrong, he was wounded for. Disobediences. I, uh, I was reading about this young boy talking about disobedience and he loved to play with his toys. And uh, his mom said, look, you can play with your toys, but when you're finished, every mom says, what then? You have to clean up. You have to put it away. So, if you don't put it away, you can't play with it again. It's very strict, and I like that. So the boy would play every day, and then mom would say, it's time now for dinner. Daddy's going to be home soon. He will take all his toys and put it away. And daddy would come, and they would have dinner, and then they would sit down and daddy will play God's songs on the piano, and he loved to sing with his daddy, and he would sing with his daddy God's songs. But this one day, his dad came a little bit early. He didn't come in his normal time. So the little boy was playing around, he saw his daddy coming through, oh, daddy, 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 he ran up to him, gave him a hug, and, and he said, daddy, daddy, please, God's songs, God's songs. And they went and sat down and started playing God's songs. Daddy's too happy to play God's songs with the boy, and they sing around, but mum came around, and what happened? The toys weren't packed away. And she called him over. So he said, come on. 
He says, but mommy, I'm playing, I'm singing God's songs. That's when daddy says, listen, it's no good singing God's songs when you are disobedient. Isn't that right? It's no good sitting in church singing God, hallelujah, songs while you're disobedient. Go and clean up and put away the toys. I want to say today to you, if you're disobedient, come to the Lamb. Come to the Lamb. You see, He was wounded for our transgressions, our lapses. Is that you? Just, it was just a lapse. You know, it just happened. I, it, just, it just came out. You know, I, I just said it. I said, oh man, you can't put the word. But it just came out. He was wounded for your lapses, for your indiscretions. Is it only me that's got lapses and indiscretions? Or is it you also? He was wounded for that. Not only that, he says that he was bruised for our iniquities. For our iniquities, he was bruised. Now, the Hebrew is avon, which means our perversity, our moral evil, our wickedness. That word bruised means like a burnt offering. He was cut apart into pieces. You go and read Psalm 22 and Jesus Christ through the prophet or through the psalm writer explains to the Father in heaven. Go read Psalm 22. It's a fantastic psalm. It is the conversation between Jesus Christ himself and the Father in heaven. That whole psalm. And in that psalm he tells the Father in heaven how he's been pulled apart. His bones are poking out all over him. That all... Why do we need a lamb? Why do we need a lamb, Abraham? Where is the lamb? It's because the lamb has got to be bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Chastisement. And then he says, by his stripes we were healed. Let me explain to you this. The peace he's talking about is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Is peace with God. Before the cross, we were enemies of God. Yes, we were in lockerheads with God. But he was chastised. And then he says, and by his stripes we were healed those stripes which they've lashed on him. Now, I've heard so many people when they pray for sick people, physically sick people, they quote this verse, but they quote it out of context. It's not only for physical healing this. This is for the spiritual healing. Friend, you can be sick today physically, and by a miraculous power you can be healed, but if your soul is lost, you are sicker than you were before you were healed. So he says here that by his stripes, every single lash they laid upon him, every single time that lashes ripped into his flesh, and they burned, and he cracked it open and pulled flesh out, every single one of those was for your healing of your soul. You see why we need a lamb? Now the question is then, where is the lamb? Abraham, where is the lamb? Now this is the great news. We go to... You remember when Abraham he said it? He said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He's not going to pick somebody else to carry it. He will carry it himself. And that's where we come now in John chapter 1, verse 29. Where is the lamb? 
And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb! Hallelujah! You should shout hallelujah! And you should shout hallelujah ten times when you see this. Because for ages, since, since the garden, through the, through the ages, through all of those years, they were sitting under the yoke of sin. They were sitting in darkness. They were looking for that glorious day. And here is a prophet at Betabara. He baptizes people. He saw Jesus and he says these words, Behold the Lamb. The Lamb of God. What is this Lamb going to do? Exactly what I showed you in Isaiah. Who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, look, that's not the popular declaration of Christ according to the people. They wanted Jesus according to their needs. And that is what a lot of people still do today. Oh, we want Jesus according to our wants and according to our needs. Lord, if only you do this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. That's a wrong prayer. You say, what do you mean it's a wrong prayer? Well, you say, Lord, if you do this. Now, what happens if God doesn't do that? You're going to walk away. Yes? That's what you said. Words is only what's going on in your mind and in your heart. Isn't that right? Oh, Lord, only this one time if you do this, I will serve you for the rest. You see, dear friends, that was not the popular title for Jesus Christ that the people wanted to hear. Although their hearts and souls and minds were cried for a lamb to take over this guilt, they wanted somebody to lead them as a king and to overthrow the Romans, to bring them prosperity. Isn't that the message again today in the world? Prosperity. Hey, look, if you struggle, then there's something wrong with you. You haven't got faith. That's what they say. If, if you struggle and if you're poor then you're not saved. Man, you better get saved quickly. That's not the message of the Bible. No, no, no. But he says it here, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I've said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me and did not know him, but he should be revealed to Israel before. Therefore I came baptizing him with water. John goes on through this whole gospel as we're going to see once we get into the verses. Can you imagine, I've said eight weeks ago we're going to start with the book of John. Are we still in the introduction? I wonder how long the book's going to take, Andre. <laughs> but are we in a hurry? No, we need to understand. You see, he goes on in his whole gospel to explain to you and me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Lamb, that Jesus is the true light. Yes, that Jesus is the Word. Not only Him. The other gospel writers do the same thing. In their gospels, although they address it to certain people, it goes about the Lamb. And they go about the gospels explaining, Behold the Lamb. The Lamb has arrived. He's here. Listen to you and to me, dear friend. He's here today. He's not only came for them. The darkness is not dark anymore. The light has come. The sin guilt is not guilt anymore. The Lamb has come. 
The blood is not just covering it now. It washes it away. The Bible says, though your sins were like scarlet in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. He says, though your sins were red like crimson or like scarlet, He will come and make it whiter than snow. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! The Lamb has come! Behold the Lamb! No longer do we search for Him. Yet, when I look around the world, they are still searching. The Jews are still searching, yes? The Orthodox Jews. They are still looking for the Messiah. Yet He has come. John the Baptist says, Behold, He's come. That's the Lamb. Now we follow it right through to the book of Revelation in chapter 5, verse 6. We just follow the Lamb. He says, And I looked. No, no, wait a minute. I need to read the previous verses because this is a significant part. I want to go to verse, uh, maybe from verse 3. Revelation chapter 5. Now the focus turns into heaven. In Revelation chapter 1, 2 and 3, the focus is on the earth. And at the beginning of Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 says, after these things, metatauta, that's the Greek word, metatauta, after these things, after what? After chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Chapter 1 is the description of Jesus Christ. I'm giving you the key for Revelation. Chapter 2 and 3 is the, the churches, the dispensation of grace. We are now in that dispensation. And then he turns to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, and after these things, Greek metatauta, the focus turns now to heaven. And what do we see in heaven? We can read through chapter 1. He talks about the throne and everything. And then we come to chapter 5. Man, I'm so excited now about the Word of God. He says it there. He says in verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back sealed with seven seals. He saw a scroll. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? Who's worthy? And no one in heaven, no one in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look at it. Even your most famous preacher on the earth couldn't do that. Otherwise his name would have been there, yes? Even that man or woman or whatever you follow so religiously, they couldn't do it. Who's writing this, this book? John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, the one who was so close to me, the only one who was at the cross, he's writing this. Could he do it? No. Otherwise his name would have been written there. Who could open the scroll? No one in heaven. Angel? Gabriel? No. The angel Michael? No. Any one of the Zohar angels surrounding God's throne, four of them? No. It's fascinating, isn't it? We found something that nobody can touch. And now he says in verse 4, So John... So I wept much. Why would John weep? Because he couldn't open it. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and lose its seals. I haven't got it on the board, but I want you to look in your Bible. He says, the lion. Ah, the lion. 
You see that? A lion ain't a sheep, is it? Come on. He says, Behold. One of says, Do not weep. Behold, the lion and the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. At this point in time, you expect a powerful lion to appear on the scene. Because he says it right there, didn't he? But look at this now in verse 6. And I looked, and in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood what? Stood a lamb. You see that? Behold the lamb! John the Baptist cried out. And what do we see here now? We see this lamb after they've sacrificed him on the cross. They crucified him. They took him to pieces. They buried him. He's risen again and he's gone up into heaven. And whatever. We don't see him again, do we? Until now. He looks up into heaven and he says, Not a lion standing there, a lamb. How wonderful it is. Do we need a lamb? Yes, we do. As though it had been slain, you see. He had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It was the lamb who went and took the scroll. One day we'll get through the book of Revelation and I'll explain to you the seven spirits. There is no seven spirits, holy spirits. There's only one spirit. That seven spirits there is explained in the book of Isaiah, which gives you seven characteristics of the Spirit of God. But it's not for now. Let's finish. Where is the Lamb in the Old Testament? We found Him in the New Testament. He says, Behold the Lamb! We found Him! I want to ask you this morning, have you found the Lamb? In the Old Testament, they took this Lamb and the father of the house would lay his hand on the head of the Lamb and he will say the sins over that and the Lamb will die for the sins. Dear friends, have you laid your hands on the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and confessed your sins to him so that he can take your sin away? If not, you're in serious trouble. I can't be more serious than that. I want to give you one more. I want to say, worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5 verse 11. Then I looked... And I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was thousands times ten thousands and thousands of thousands. And what did they say? They sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb! Hallelujah! Where is the Lamb, Abraham? Behold the Lamb! Worthy is the Lamb! You see, we follow the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This doesn't make sense to the natural man. How can something that was slain receive all of these things? Have you asked yourself, have you seen that? If something is slain, you know, he is stripped of everything. Yes? 
If you are slain, you've got no power. You're dead. Yet, this lamb received power. If you are slain, your riches are gone. Let me tell you one thing. You can build yourself riches up in this world, but once you go to the grave, it's gone. Zolts. Somebody else will spend it on your behalf. Yet, this one who was slain received riches. And we can go on. Wisdom. What happens with your wisdom? Oh, you can come and philosophize to everybody, to your friends, everybody. Oh, he's such a man of wisdom. What happens when you're slain with that wisdom? It's kaput. It's gone. And we can go on. Strength. No strength because you're slain. And honor. What's with your honor? And glory and bliss. Listen. He was slain. And while Satan thought it was a victory for him on the cross, no, 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 no. The lamb who was slain is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And it's not only one boy shouting it out. It is thousands of thousands of thousands of thousands of angels crying out, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb until tomorrow, until next week, until the day after, until 2020. No, 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 no. Let's read on. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, what? Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Hallelujah. Isn't it great to serve Him forever? Then the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen, sister. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. Have you seen the Lamb this morning? I was going to do all four names in one sermon, but once this came so clear to me and opened up this path, I thought, no, no, we need to spend one sermon just on the Lamb and follow His tracks. Follow Him from Abraham. Well, it goes before Abraham even, but I just started at Abraham. Did you see the picture of Abraham as a type, Abraham and Isaac as a type of Christ? And then we follow you through Isaiah. And here we are. Have you found the Lamb? Again, friend, if not, my heart's desire is for you to find Him.